0: Welcome to Faith Baptist Church, Great Village, where we believe in the truth of the gospel, building of community, and engaging in the mission of Christ. We hope you enjoy this week's message as our pastors share from God's Word. Thank you for that, Keith, and uh, for others who assisted. It's uh, humbling to think about. And um, one of the things that I hear a lot from people um, is how unworthy they feel. And that's because we are. None of us is worthy. He alone is worthy. And he laid down his life for us so that we could have life. We are on a three-year journey through the Bible. We began back in September in uh, the book of Genesis, and this week when I sent out the uh, reading schedule, or posted, I guess, uh, the reading schedule, I posted uh, uh, 1 Samuel Chapter 18 through chapter 31, which is 14 chapters. So you'll be happy to know we are not going to preach through 14 chapters this morning. But we are uh, reaching the point where we're really breaking into a gallop here. Because um, in two weeks' time, we're going to be talking about... Uh, David and David and Bathsheba, and we're going to probably spend a little bit of time in Psalm fifty-one, and then I think it's a week, maybe the week after that. I might be confused on some of these exact dates, but uh, we're going to be uh, looking at Psalm twenty-three, uh, the Shepherd Psalm of David, um, and and then that's it for the Book of Psalms. And there's one hundred and fifty psalms in in the Hebrew Psalter. Uh, right now we're looking at the life of David, and 73 Psalms have David's name on them. So we are really breaking into uh, a bit of a, of a run here at this point, and that's why it's so important for us all, all of us who can, to be reading lots you know that's great summer reading. You could read through the Book of Psalms, read a psalm a day, or something like that. Um, well, you need to read more than a psalm a day—150. But uh, and, and then there's the Book of Proverbs because after we've talked about uh, David for the next few weeks, we're going to be talking about Solomon and the Temple, and and then there's all so there's all the wisdom literature too. And we are going to be we're going to be spending one week in in the Book of Ecclesiastes, for example. But there's all those Proverbs, uh, 31, I think. Uh, chapters, more than thirty-one Proverbs, but thirty-one chapters, and so, uh, so yeah, lots to cover, and uh, and and we need to try to gain the perspective of the bigger picture and keep the bigger picture in in mind. Uh, in the narrative of the Old Testament, the focus keeps zooming in and out, uh, and while we tend to be more gravity bound to the microscopic, um, things will make more sense to us when we. Uh, learn to be able to be, be able to pull back and look at the bigger picture of what God's doing because that's when we can start to make uh, the connections, those uh, essential connections to know not just what is happening but why. And that's uh, that's important. So um, the Gospel Project curriculum that we are following, that three years uh, track through the Bible, um, takes... Um, the focus today, and puts it on 1 Samuel 24. And the heading that they give for that is, A Fugitive Spares His Rival. Uh, I'm just simply calling this message The Fugitive. Um, And perhaps you recall, perhaps you're old enough to recall, the movie uh, called The Fugitive in... uh, That came out in 1993, which is 16 years ago, starring Harrison Ford and Tommy Lee Jones. There you go, see? And uh, uh, you may or may not be aware that that movie was actually based on a TV series, which goes back more than uh, 16 years. It goes back over 50 years. How How many of you here remember... The Fugitive TV series. Oh, look at all these old people putting their hands up. Yeah. Uh, who started in that? David Jansen, Right on, Ian. And Barry Morse. Is he Canadian? Okay. 120 episodes airing from 1963 to 1967. And some of you don't know what I'm talking about, and that's okay too, because before there was um, Harrison Ford and Tommy Lee Jones, and before there was David Jansen and Barry Morse, there was David and Saul. And it really is like a, a, a series of episodes on the fugitive. And uh, that is where we're going to put our focus today on uh, one of those um, episodes, if you will, where Saul is pursuing David, and in this particular episode, as happened uh, a few, on a few occasions, um, David had opportunity to actually take Saul out, and he didn't. He spared his life, and we're going to be talking about some about the, that and why, um, why that is, uh, was the case. So uh, last week, Jason led us through 1 Samuel 16 and 17 and the story of David being anointed by Samuel and then the contest with Goliath. And then the rest of the book of 1 Samuel basically consists of a number of episodes uh, in David's life as a fugitive, as King Saul relentlessly pursued him up and down and back and forth across the wilderness of Judea Judea, and even outside of Israel into the land of their enemies, uh, month after month, year after year, relentlessly and ruthlessly trying to take his life. And there were a number of instances where Saul tries to take David out, and in contrast to that are instances where Uh, David had opportunity to take Saul out and uh, spares his life. So you can think of these as episodes. And there are other characters that come in, different episodes where different characters come in. And some of them even make multiple appearances. There's Saul's son, Jonathan, who um, would have been in line for the throne, uh, but who recognized God's hand on David and graciously proclaimed this was Jonathan's words to David he said you shall be king over Israel and I shall be next to you that's that was that kind of thing was unheard of in that day and it's unheard of today too to be honest with you where a person would just step aside and say you know what this this is God's place for you Uh, Just an incredible um, scene that happens. And the relationship between Jonathan and David is very, very significant how it's set out in Scripture. Not something that we should just pass by because it involved a covenant between them. Uh, David and Jonathan made a covenant with one another. And uh, the words uh, on Jonathan's lips in that instance were these. He says, the Lord shall be between me and you and between my offspring and your offspring forever. And that idea of the Lord being between them is a very significant biblical concept. Uh, It's one that has fascinated me for years, the idea that the Lord mediates between us. Uh, It reminds me of Matthew 18, where Jesus says, if somebody offends you, go to them. Be reconciled with them. And if they won't listen to you, then take somebody else. And if they still won't listen to you, then, then involve the church because that relationship is so important. But then it has this verse It says, Jesus says, in that context, he says, wherever two or more are gathered in my name, there am I in the midst of them. And that word in the Greek, in the midst, has that idea of being in the middle between and, uh, and so when Jonathan says the Lord shall be between me and you, between my offspring and your offspring forever, it's just an interesting concept. Um, there's episodes with Jonathan, there's episodes, that we, you know, and these we're not going to be able to spend time focusing on, but you, uh, I hope, will read them through and ponder them and think about them. Nabal. Uh, the 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 Nabal is Nabal is the Old Testament fool. You know Jesus talked about the the rich fool in um, uh, the New Testament gospel accounts. Uh, Nabal is the Old Testament rich fool, and uh, and then there is his his noble, resourceful, and beautiful wife Abigail. Um, there's all kinds of interesting things there uh, that you can read through and speculate about how. I always wondered how Nabal got to be rich. How do pe- how do people that are fools at heart become uh, wealthy? And when I was reading through this time, I noticed something I didn't ever notice before. I noticed that um, uh, Nabal was a Calebite. He was a descendant of Caleb, and you may recall from our study in Joshua that Caleb was a very, very successful and 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 noble and and faithful a uh, leader who God uh, granted great success to. And so maybe Nabal just was one of these guys who grew up privileged and never really appreciated what he had or appreciated how he got it. And if that's true, it would be consistent with the text because when David tries to appeal to Nabal for, uh, for a little bit of help based on everything he had done for Nabal, Nabal just said, well, who are you and why should I give you anything? And he ended up dead shortly after that. Uh, but that's part of being uh, being a fool. Um, there were all kinds of other episodes. There's the episode where Saul slaughters the priests of Yahweh. 85 priests. Had them all put to death with a sword. And by this time in Saul's life, he's just a man that's absolutely, totally out of control. And... Uh, But it is interesting if you read through that, and you you may or may not catch this. If you're a careful Bible reader, you'll catch this: that that was in direct fulfillment to what the prophet had told Eli would happen to his family, and only one man was left to escape, and that is exactly what was prophesied in one Samuel chapter two, verses thirty-one to thirty-three, and Abiathar was the only. Uh, son, uh, descendant of Eli that escaped that day, and he fled to David and remained with David and inquired of the Lord on David's behalf and ended up being a great encouragement to David. There were other set episodes too, like the time when David decided it would be a good idea to take Goliath's sword and flee to Gath, David, uh, Goliath's hometown. Um, you know, it's... Uh, you, you read it and you wonder how David's going to get out of something like that. But as it turns out, David could not only sing and dance, but he could act too. And you can read about it uh, there in the passages that we won't be, be covering. Because today we really are going to try to focus our attention on 1 Samuel uh, 24. So uh, uh, pray with me. Father in heaven, as we uh, consider this portion of your word this morning, Lord, we just pray you'd use it to bless our hearts, that you would teach us. Lord, we come to you unworthy, and we come to you needy. We do not have what it takes uh, even to understand your word, Lord. We need your help with that. And we don't have what it takes to live for you, Lord. We, we need for you to, to, uh, to save us and to live in us, to forgive us and to fill us and to strengthen us. And, and Lord, that you would just grant unto us um, the power uh, and strength of your, your might and your spirit um, help us, Lord, to understand today, Lord, and help us that our faith might be firmly and squarely in You and You alone. In all these matters, uh, we pray this that You would be glorified in our lives. In Jesus' name, Amen. All right, let's uh, let's turn to First Samuel twenty-four. We're going to read through the chapter. There's only twenty-four, or twenty-two, sorry, twenty-two verses here. So we'll read through. I'm reading from the English Standard Version, uh, but hopefully it'll be close to what you have, and we'll also project that on the screen. It says in uh, 1 Samuel 24, When Saul returned from following the Philistines, he was told, Behold, David is in the wilderness of En Gedi. And Saul took 3,000 chosen men out of all Israel and went to seek David and his men in front of the wild goat's rocks. And he came to the sheepfolds by the way, where there was a cave, and Saul went in to relieve himself. Now David and his men were sitting in the innermost parts of the cave, and the men of David said to him, Here is the day of which the Lord said to you, Behold, I give your enemy into your hand, and you shall do to him as it shall seem good to you. Then David arose and stealthily cut off the corner of Saul's robe, and afterward, David's heart struck him because he had cut off a corner of Saul's robe. And he said to his men, The Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my Lord, the Lord's anointed, to put out my hand against him, seeing he is the Lord's anointed. So David persuaded his men with these words and did not permit them to attack Saul. And Saul rose up and left the cave and went on his way. Afterward, David arose and went out of the cave and called after Saul, my lord, the king. And when Saul looked behind him, David bowed his face to the earth and paid homage. And David said to Saul, why do you listen to the words of men who say, behold, David seeks your harm? Behold, this day your eyes have Uh, seen how the lord gave you today into my hand in the cave and some told me to kill you but i spared you i said i will not put out my hand against my lord for he is the lord's anointed see my father see the corner of your robe in my hand for by the fact that i cut off the corner of your robe and did not kill you you may know and see that there is no wrong or treason in my hands I have not sinned against you, though you hunt my life to take it. By the way, that's what Saul accused the priests of Nob of doing, of siding with David. That's why he had them killed. May the Lord judge. Verse 12. May the Lord judge between me and you. May the Lord avenge me against you, but my hand shall not be against you. As the proverb of the ancients says, out of the wicked comes wickedness, but my hand... Shall not be against you. After whom has the king of Israel come out? After whom do you pursue? After a dead dog? After a flea? May the Lord therefore be judge and give sentence between me and you. And see to it and plead my cause and deliver me from your hand. And as soon as David had finished speaking these words to Saul, Saul said, Is this your voice, my son David? And Saul lifted up his voice and wept, He said to David, you are more righteous than I, for you have repaid me good, whereas I have repaid you evil. And you have declared this day how you have dealt with me, and that you did not kill me when the Lord put me into your hands. For if a man finds his enemy, will he, not, will he let him go away safe? So may the Lord reward you with good for what you have done to me this day. And now, behold, I know that you shall surely be king, and that kingdom of israel shall be established in your hand swear to me therefore by the lord that you will cut off not cut off sorry that you will not cut off my offspring after me and that you will not destroy my name out of my father's house and david swore to saul and then saul went home and david and his men went up to the stronghold Jason mentioned last week that we we estimate that that David was about 15 years old when he uh, took on Goliath and defeated Goliath. Um, Second Samuel tells us uh, that David was 30 years old when he finally uh, was crowned king over Judah. So the episodes that take place, one of which we just read, between First Samuel um, sixteen and seventeen, which is the story of David and Goliath, and the end of First uh, Samuel and and the beginning of Second Samuel, where David is crowned king in, uh, over Judah, uh, we're talking approximately fifteen years. Uh, we're talking generalities, we don't know exactly, but, but that's like a decade and a half of being hunted. You know, you and I would think that when David was anointed by Samuel, it would be okay, now David's going to become king, and wow, this is going to be great, you know. Um, and instead, David ends up fleeing for his life, living in caves and, and in en- enemy territory month after month, year after year, for somewhere around 15 years of his life. Um, Wow. Um, I mentioned the book of Psalms, 73 Psalms David wrote. Uh, Many of those Psalms were written during those years in David's life. And you can uh, note when you go through the psalms, some of them, not all of them, but some of them have a description attached to them that tell us when they were written. Or more specifically, they tell us the circumstances around which uh, time and David's life when he wrote. Uh, and some of them were written at a very uh, stressful, very fearful times in David's uh, life. Um, so here in this account, David and his men, and the they, they, uh, earlier scripture tells us that they, but, uh, there was a, somewhere around 400 men by this time that had aligned themselves with David, including his family, and, and a whole bunch of malcontents and discontents, and, and just kind of a, a motley crew, and David was able to turn them into quite a force. Um, and he would actually, as he went around fleeing Saul, he also took the opportunity to help Uh, the Israelites against the Philistines as well. But so here they're hiding out in a a cave. Interesting quote from one of the commentaries says, there are caves in that area today that easily rival or exceed large hotel lobbies. A game of full court basketball could be no problem in some of them. So we're talking some pretty uh, massive uh, uh, caverns. And uh, so it was one of these caves that David and his men were hiding out in this particular day, and in comes Saul. (laughs) By divine providence, obviously. A couple of questions uh, we want to think about today. Question number one, why did Saul hate and pursue David trying to kill him all those days? You know, in the early days, Saul loved David. Saul thought the world of David. Uh, take a look at this 1st uh, Samuel sixteen twenty one says and David came to Saul and entered his service and Saul loved him greatly and he became his armor bearer uh, in chapter um, 18 verse 5 it says David went out and was successful wherever Saul sent him so that Saul set him over the men of war and this was good in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of the of the Lord's servants Oh, this is all good, right? But that all changed. When did it change? <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. when they started to sing. Yeah. Saul has killed his thousands, David his tens of thousands. That's when it all began to change. It says in verses 8 and 9 of 1 Samuel 18, Saul was very angry when he heard that singing. And this saying displeased him. He said, they have ascribed to David ten thousands, and to me they have ascribed thousands. And what more can he have but the kingdom? And Saul eyed David from that day on. And he more than eyed David, he eyed him and he watched for, and he took every opportunity that he had to kill David. In fact, the very next statement in verses 10 and 11, that's this 1 Samuel 18, verses 10 and 11 says he took up his his, uh, spear and tried to pin David to the wall with it. Saul did that many, many times, and there were many instances where he tried to take David's uh, David's life. And those words, uh, what more can he have but the kingdom, those are very telling words, aren't they? So this begins a decade and a half of relentless pursuit and multiple attempts on David's life, but the second question, the first question begs the second question. First question, you know, why was Saul so relentlessly pursuing David, trying to kill him? And, and, and the answer to that is that is, 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 involves jealousy. It involves uh, 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 Saul's ego and his uh, personal insecurities. And it also involved his relationship with God because you will recall from previous um, uh, scriptures that... Uh, that there was some really bad spiritual stuff going on inside Saul's heart and mind, uh, when he when he uh, when he uh, really walked away from the Lord's commands, uh, things took a, a, a serious downward turn for Saul, and he became a tormented man, a troubled man. Um, he was. Uh, Spiritually sick man, and uh, but the, but but the first question: Why did David, Saul so relentlessly pursue David, trying to kill him? Begs the second question, and the second question is: Why did David then spare Saul's life? Not just once, but multiple times. Uh, that's an important uh, important question, and I think it's. Uh, It's a question that really is at the center of what I think we need to take from these passages that we're looking at in these days. You notice that David refers to Saul how? What does he call Saul? The Lord's anointed. Um, Who put Saul in the position of king? God did. Now the people asked for him. The people wanted him. He was the people's choice because he was the kind of king they wanted. But, but God put Saul there in that position because God gave the people what they wanted. So it was God that put Saul in this in position as king. And David recognized that God had put Saul in that position. And he said, I will not put out my hand against the Lord's anointed. And as you study scripture, one of the fascinating things is how scripture uses that that, that term, hand. It talks about our hands, it talks about Jacob's hands, it talks about David's hands, it talks about God's hand. And it's it's, it's a fascinating study. You would think it would be a, a, a fairly... Uh, um uh oh insignificant thing to read through scripture and just look at the references to things being put in people's hands and the things that people have and are we have in our hands but it's it's actually very very fascinating because our hands are symbolic our hands are symbolic for our abilities we do things with our hands so it was by the hand of God that Saul was king. And you will recall when David faced off against that gigantic man named Goliath, he said, this day the Lord will deliver you into my hand. Right? Here, David says, over and over again, if you read through these passages, and it's here In this passage that we just read and it comes up over and over. I will not put out my hand against the Lord's anointed. In other words, David is saying God put Saul in his his place and God will take him out. And God's going to have to because it's not going to happen by my hand. And This is significant. If we want to understand uh, David, we need to understand his relationship with God. David put his trust in God. That is to say, David put his life in God's hand. Now, the other term that's very significant in these passages, going back to last week, is the term heart, right? In uh, 1 Samuel chapter 13, God tells Samuel, I've rejected Saul, and I have chosen a man after my own heart. And then in chapter 16, when God sends Samuel to anoint David, he says, when Eliab steps up, the oldest brother, the big, the big guy, David's oldest brother, and God says to Samuel, pay no attention to his appearance. Uh, I have not chosen him. I have rejected him. And and, uh, then he, and then he says, for uh, God does not look or see as man sees, for man sees on the outward appearance. The Lord looks on the heart. And how we understand these two terms, head and heart, are significant in scripture and they're certainly significant in these uh, accounts. If we want to understand the difference between David and Saul and the difference between what went on in their hearts, then we uh, need to recognize uh, that uh, David recognized that his life was in God's hands, and uh, he—that made him a man of faith. That's what made David all about God when Saul was all about Saul. Um, you know, it's it's interesting when you read uh, that that passage. Um, uh, in chapter 13, 1 Samuel 13, when God says to Samuel, I have rejected Saul as king. I have chosen a man after my own heart. Lots of people jump on that statement, and lots of people misunderstand that statement. A lot of times what's very, very common for Christians to do, including many Bible teachers, we will say David was a man after God's own heart because David loved God and he pursued God's heart. David's heart pursued God's heart like a deer pants for the, for the water brooks. Um, well, there's no question but what David uh, loved God. You read the Psalms and you see that David loved God. But that statement in, in 1 Samuel chapter 13 where it says I have chosen a man after my own heart does not, is not a commentary on David's heart. Um, and I don't want to, we don't have a lot of time, I don't want to take a lot of time, but, this morning, but, um, a lot of the confusion comes in with some of the uh, way we use words, but uh, the word "after" we think of we th- we think of a man after God's own heart. And we think we can picture David running after God, and you know his heart longing after God's heart. But the word "after" is an old English word, and the in modern translations use it, and it's been used ever since the sixteen hundreds. Um, but in the Hebrew, there the idea is not what like that it is uh, has more the idea of uh, the words according to or in, in correspondence with so the idea is that David is um, God's chosen one according to God's heart and the word heart we also have issues with because we uh, we tend to uh, confuse these words in the Hebrew, uh, The heart, uh, uh, your heart is more associated with your mind and your will. We choose with our heart. We make choices with our hearts. And this is really important because when the Hebrew says, I have uh, chosen David, a man after my own heart, um, the best uh, way to understand that based on all of the studying that, I, that I've been able to do is what God is saying is that this this time it's my choice. You got your choice. Now I'm choosing. A man after my own choosing. A man according to my will. Not yours. And that understanding changes the way we think about that passage. And then as we come in to chapter 16, where Samuel goes to anoint uh, David, there's a Hebrew word, Raah, I don't know how to pronounce it, R A A H, two syllables. Um, And it it, it dominates that whole section, and it means literally to see, but it's often translated to provide. So in verse 1, when he says, Why are you moping here morning after Saul? I have provided myself a king. Literally, I have seen. And that little word occurs nine times throughout that passage as a verb and as a noun. As a noun is translated appearance. The theme of 1 Samuel 16 is God's provision according to his choice. And so as we consider these things, uh, it's important for us to recognize that um, when God chooses David, he chooses David because he has uh, made David a man of faith. David is about the Lord. David trusts the Lord. Saul trusts himself. Remember how pragmatic he is? God said, I want you to do this. And so Saul goes and he doesn't do it. He does something different, close, but not quite. And when Samuel confronts him about it, he says, what are you talking about? I did what the Lord wanted me to do. And Samuel said, well, if you did what the Lord wanted you to do, what's that sound of sheep I hear? Oh, well, of course we didn't do that. We saved all the best sheep so we could sacrifice them to the Lord. All made perfect sense to Saul. There's only one problem. It's not what God told him to do. So the emphasis throughout all of this section is on David's faith in the Lord that translated into his living for the Lord. That's the kind of man that uh, God made David and and that's the, 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 the one that Dave, uh, God chose to, be, uh, to eventually to uh, uh, ascend to the throne of Israel. A man according to God's own choosing. A man after God's own, own heart. Um, now, what does it mean for David to trust the Lord? Well, in, in, the, in, the, in the passage we're reading, David says, I will not raise my hand against the Lord and, Lord's anointed. This is not going to happen by my hand. Um, think back to Goliath. David standing out in the valley of Elah. Elah? I think that's right. And there's Goliath and David says, um, you know, you come to me with you, all of your armor on and your gigantic size and, and, and your big mouth, and uh, I come to you in the name of the Lord, whom you have defied. And this, and this they listen to what else he says there. He says, he says this is all going to, I'm going to tell you how this is all going to go down. Tells him everything he's going to do. He even tells him he's going to feed his carcass to the birds. And uh, uh, he says, why? He says that all the earth may know. Remember that from from last week when when, uh, uh, Jason was sharing with us? That all the earth may know. May know what? He answers the question. He says, know that there is a God in Israel and that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hand. So you could, you could paraphrase it like this, that all uh, this assembly may know that there, a, that the Lord saves not with sword and spear, that means it doesn't matter how big you are. It doesn't mean how smart you are. It doesn't mean what your stature is. It doesn't mean what kind of abilities you might have. In other words, it's not in your hands. Goliath, you've got hands the size of my whole body. It doesn't matter. Because it's not in your hands. Because our lives are not in our hands. Our lives are in God's hands. See, that's the faith that David had. Now, project that forward to his relationship with Saul. David is living a life of faith. And I tell you, you know that's not easy when you're being chased around the wilderness and somebody trying to kill you. You know, faith is not easy when, when, you're, get, when you're being chased around, uh, you know, and you're living in, in a cave. Has anybody here ever lived in a cave? Just I'm just asking. No, I didn't think so. It can be good, you know. And then people come and poop in your cave too, so it's like bad, 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 bad. You know, that's, hard. that's a hard way to live. And, and all the while, you get this promise, you know. The, the Lord has sent his prophet to anoint you, you know. Like, how do you do that? How do you live like that? You know, folks, this is why God gave us 73 psalms from the pen of David. And when you read those psalms, Laura's probably down with the kids, but she read from Psalm 27 today. What what is it? Psalm of David. What does it say? Wait on the Lord. (laughs) You see? That's why we have those psalms. Because they pull back the curtains and they allow us to see inside of David's heart. Which is, not, which, is, which is not a heart that's uh, perfect or even good. Because David's heart was just like your heart and my heart. There, you know, the Bible says that all of us are sinful. All of us have sinful hearts. If you don't get this, you're really going to struggle when you get to David and Bathsheba. And find out that David committed not only adultery, but murder to cover it up. So if you go and say, oh, David was a man after God's own heart, that means he had a a good heart. His heart was like God. You've misinterpreted the, 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 the Bible. It was David's faith in God. David came to God with empty hands. He said, I got nothing. My life is not in my hands. My life is in God's hands. I look to him. My faith... I look to him, and that's why, whether you're talking about strength, or whether you're talking about protection, or whether you're talking about promotion, or whether you're talking about forgiveness for sins, Psalm 51. Created me a clean heart, O God, David said. And renew a right spirit within me. See, David was just as much in need of forgiveness as you and I. That's not what made him different from Saul, it was his faith. So why did David spare Saul? Because David was trusting in God to deliver him and to establish God's will for his life. You know, there's a really big lesson in all of this for us. Listen to this. Satan comes to Jesus and he says, and he takes him up, he shows him all the kingdoms of the world. He says, all this I will give to you if you just bow down and worship me. Now, take note that all the kingdoms of the world belong rightfully to Jesus. Satan was not offering him anything he didn't rightfully deserve. But Satan was offering him something. You could call it a shortcut. And, and David running around the wilderness and, and, and living in the, uh, hardship and toil and, and struggle and persecution and everything must have been hard, but it wasn't as hard as what Jesus endured. And yet it says that Jesus entrusted himself to the Father, just like David entrusted himself to his Lord and God. And, uh, you know, the Lord's will needs to be sought in the Lord's way. The end does not justify the means. Saul was the end-justify-the-means kind of guy. He was the, the, the ultimate pragmatist. You know, he was the one that would say, well, uh, this is the way it's supposed to be, so whatever i got to do to make it happen, it's God's will, right? The Lord wills it. David said, no, I'm going to wait on God. He put Saul there, he'll take him out. And if he wants me on the throne, he will put me on the throne. So there was nothing self-promoting about David. And we need to learn from that. Because Jesus said, he who exalts himself will be humbled. But he who humbles himself will be exalted. Do you put your life in God's hands? Are you a man of faith, a woman of faith? What does it look like? What does it look like to be a person of faith? What does it look like to trust in God? What does it look like practically in our lives to trust that God will provide and God will protect and God will promote? The temptation to take a shortcut is, uh, is a great one. Um, we could go on to talk about the encouragement that God gave to David in the, in the wilderness. He brought people into his life. Uh, I mentioned Jonathan. Jonathan shows up at one point, finds David. So you know, finds him and, and encourages him. In the text says he strengthened him in the Lord, encouraged him in the Lord, and because of their relationships, he was in the Lord. And then uh, there's uh, I mentioned as well, uh, uh, Nabal and his wife Abigail, um, chapter 24 that we're we're, we're looking at. Um, is uh, David sparing Saul's life in the cave? Chapter twenty-six is similar. David uh, sneaks with um, uh, Abishai, I think it is, into uh, into the uh, camp and takes the, uh, Saul's spear and his canteen out. And, sa- and then he hollers and says, "I could have, I could have stuck the spear through you like you tried to do to me all those times, and I didn't." And it's a very similar passage, sandwiched in between 24 and 26 is 25, which is the story of Nabal and Abigail. And it's interesting, and we won't obviously, you know, uh, uh, go through that. But it's interesting some of the things that um, that uh, Abigail said to David, and uh, how David responded. Um, I do want to, I, I want to read that to you, but first let me, let me just, I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself here, uh, I'm, I'm almost done, but First Samuel twenty forty two. Jonathan said to David, go in peace, this, uh, this is earlier on, t- chapter 20, go in peace, because we have sworn both of us in the name of the Lord, saying the Lord shall between, be between me and you, and between o- my offspring and your offspring forever, there's that thing again, the Lord's between you and I, okay, Now, the reason I bring that up, again, is because over in chapter 24, and you may have noticed this, but in 24, verses 12 through 15, uh, David's talking to Saul, and he says, May the Lord judge between me and you. See, here's the thing. God was not only between um, David and Jonathan. God was also between Saul and David. In a different kind of way. Because. Jonathan. And David. uh, Loved each other. Uh, They were close as brothers. Uh, Saul was David's enemy. And yet. In both cases. There's this similar idea. That God. Is. Between. Us. So whether he's standing between you and that other person, binding your heart in love, or whether he's standing between you and that other person, defending you and vindicating you and judging on your behalf. See, this is where the lines between judge and deliverer merge, just like the judges in the book of Judges were judges, but they were also deliverers. And here, Jesus... uh, the Lord is standing between, right? Between it's it's interesting. We could talk about Romans chapter twelve, where uh, Paul writes, um, "Beloved, avenge uh, never avenge yourselves, but leave uh, to the wrath of God. For it is vengeance is mine; I will repay.' Saith the Lord. But I just I wanted to uh, I wanted to go to First uh, Samuel twenty five. I want to read for you. I don't. We're not going to project this, but let me read to you a few things that that. Um, uh, Abigail said to David, and then we'll we'll close. Um, El, uh, Nabal, you know he David's got four hundred men, swords strapped to their sides. They're going for Nabal because Nabal, you know, gave uh, thumbed his nose at, at David's request uh, to for some supplies after David had done a lot for them, protecting his men in the wilderness and everything. And David said, you know, I'm going. <laughs> Well, we'll teach them a lesson. So on the way, Abigail hears from one of the servants what's, what Nabal said to David. And she gathers up some supplies, and she heads out, and she cuts David and his men off. And she says this to David. She says, um, uh, The Lord has restrained you from blood guilt and from saving with your own hand. And she says, The Lord will certainly make my Lord a sure house because my Lord is fighting the battles of the Lord. If men rise up to pursue you and to seek your life, the life of my Lord shall be bound in the bundle of the living in the care of the Lord your God. Isn't that incredible? And then she says, My Lord shall not have no cause of grief or pains of conscience for having shed blood without cause. For, or for my Lord working salvation himself. You hear what she's saying to him? She cut him off. He was going to go down there and he was going to kill them all. And she come out, Abigail, come out and she said, you don't want to do that. You don't want this on your conscience. You don't want to take this matter into your own hands. And take your salvation into uh, working salvation yourself. And David's response to her is this. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who sent you this day to me. Blessed be your discretion, and blessed be you who have kept me this day from blood guilt and from working salvation with my own hand. See, that's the consistency through these chapters, chapter 24, 25, and 26, of the message of what this period in david's life is all about so why don't you stand with me and let me ask you this question what does your faith in the lord look like in your life faith is a heart matter It's how we think and feel about God in our hearts. But it's on display in how we live. What does it mean to put your trust in the Lord? What does it mean when it comes to self promotion? Taking shortcuts. Having an end justifies the means attitude when it comes to serving God. What does it mean to wait on the Lord? Because that's one of the phrases David uses over and over again to describe the faith he had in his heart with regard to his relationship with God. He said, I'm waiting on do you wait on the Lord? Sometimes it's hard. <laughs> yeah, it's not easy. When da- when Nabal thumbed his nose at David, man, he was ready. He was saddled up, swords on, he was going for it. And God is so merciful because he sent Abigail. Beautiful woman, very smart, very noble. And very much used of God to what? To restrain David. God did that. Because even those of us who have faith in the Lord, it's not easy, is it Mary? No. And God is merciful and He sends us others to encourage us. I think somebody else was talking about that this morning earlier. Sends us people and puts people around us to encourage us. Jonathan encouraged David in the Lord. Strengthened his hand in the Lord. So there's all kinds of lessons through there. But uh, pray with me. Lord, I thank you today for your word, and I thank you for each one here. And, Lord, it's not easy. It is It is hard for us, and we, we fail often, Lord, because we we are like, uh, like David. Uh, Lord, you've put faith in our hearts and put love in our hearts, but... Uh, but sometimes our, our hearts are uh, show, show themselves to be what, um, what we are. And uh, Lord, we don't have it. We don't have what it takes. But Lord, we thank you that you have what it takes. And we thank you for your grace and your mercy and for your encouragement. Lord, help us to wait on you. Help us to see uh, the people and uh, things you put in our lives to restrain us and to encourage us in our faith. Lord, help us to have our our faith firmly, squarely in you as our Lord and our Savior, our protector and our promoter. Lord, we just pray that you would create that kind of faith in our hearts this day. We thank you. That you have allowed us to be here today and to celebrate the Lord's table and to think about what you've done for us so that we can be forgiven and so that we have a way forward, moving forward, Lord, with, with you, working in our hearts, working faith in our hearts. Lord, help us to know that the battle is the Lord's. Lord, thank you today. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name.